Welcome in. You are listening to the Blue Notes podcast, a presentation of Indianapolis Cold Stories and Notes. I'm your host, Benji Taylor. We're back with the first episode post-draft. I promise I did not abandon you. Listen, I had two good reasons for my long absence. One, I really wanted to let the post-draft emotion simmer. You know I'm not one of those to vomit content just to be the first. And all those draft grades that say one player was a franchise-changing pick while another one sucked. Well, I'm not falling into that. I learned my lesson when Bleacher Report rated Darius Leonard following the 18 draft. I know better. The second reason for the long break, well, I've been busy. I've been busy wrapping up the semester, grading loads of papers, responding to student emails to tell them they'll need <laughs> they'll need to sign up again for the course next semester. On top of that, my kids started playing soccer. I don't know anything about soccer, but I love it. I love it. We're having a great time, but it's been busy. Fun, but busy. All right, now. The 87th NFL Draft is complete. The Colts didn't have a Thursday pick, but I wondered if they might move up. They didn't, but still managed to put together, in my view, a phenomenal draft. I said in the previous episode that Chris Ballard needed a comeback. Last year's draft is shaping up to be a real stinker, but Ballard bounced back this year with the most Chris Ballard draft of the Chris Ballard era. In this week's episode, we will discuss the eight new Colts players drafted and determine whether they can make an impact this year or if the picks were more kicks down the road. Stay with me, Colts fans. Chris Ballard needed a comeback and he got it. Following the 21 draft debacle and the collapse postmarked in Jacksonville, I'm not sure that Chris Ballard's seat was really as warm as we might have thought. There's no way of knowing if Jimmy Ursay ever considered firing his general manager along with his entire coaching staff, but it's water under the bridge. Nearly two weeks ago, Chris Ballard reminded fans where he thrives, team building, and especially draft day pick hoarding. <laughs> Truly, CB does what CB does. I said that there was a 5% chance that the Colts would trade up into the first round, but I should have known better. Chris Ballard started his draft by trading down because, of course he did. (laughs) The Colts entered the weekend with seven picks, starting with number 42. Only two of the seven were better than the fourth round. After trades with the Vikings and Broncos, Ballard multiplied the two-by-two and completed the weekend with four picks in rounds two and three. It was well reported that this draft lacked top-end talent but carried some depth in the belly of the mid-rounds, and so Chris Ballard was fine enough to target the top 100 picks. Every move he made, I just grinned and thought, of course he did. There really weren't any surprises for Colts fans. We'll get to the players drafted soon enough, but the moves the Colts made were not stunning or even out of character. The 21 draft was stunning and the 17 draft staggered. But in fairness, we didn't know then what we know now. 
One surprise this year that didn't have much to do with the Colts was the Malik Willis freefall. A few mock drafts pegged Willis as a first-round pick, although you could imagine him dropping to the second. However, I wondered if a quarterback-desperate team might take him with a top-10 pick. Although he was difficult to predict, I did not expect Willis to slide to the third round where he was finally selected by the Titans at 86. I wanted the Colts to take him, but they decided, like every other team in the NFL, that Malik Willis might not be a starter in this league. Well, the Titans took Willis, and I think it was a smart move. Ryan Tannehill has been good in Nashville, but he's limited, not to mention a bit saucy over the Willis pick. The team traded its best wideout over the draft weekend, and star running back Derrick Henry has to break down sometime. The team's future seems murky, so why not take a chance on an athletic quarterback to see if he can develop into the next playmaker? The Colts not only passed on Willis, but they said no thanks to the entire rookie quarterback class. Their hope in 36-year-old Matt Ryan is firm and steady. Instead of drafting a project quarterback to understudy Ryan, the Colts built around him spending the top three picks on offensive players who have doors open to support the new Colts quarterback this season. The Colts secured two third-round picks, but before the round expired, the team reached a trade with the Broncos, which enabled them to draft a third player in the round. With the 96th pick, the Colts drafted safety Nick Cross from Maryland. It was a scant chance where Chris Ballard subbed a pick next year to add one now. You rarely see Ballard pay on credit like that, which shows that Cross was coveted by the Colts. At pick number two overall, the Detroit Lions selected defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. When the pick was announced, I jokingly asked my friend Patrick if Hutchinson was better than Quiddy Pay. I just thought it was interesting that last year the Colts took Pay at pick 21, but his college teammate, who played essentially the same position, was drafted number two overall this year. Why didn't the Colts just draft Hutchinson last year? He was age eligible. Now, I realize it's not a fair comparison because Hutchinson only played three games before a season-ending injury. It was a shortened season anyway that year. And beyond that, it was a rhetorical question because Hutchinson gave no reason for any team to draft him following his junior season. Nevertheless, he was eligible to be drafted, and it would have taken a good bit of foresight and a whole lot of guesswork, but the Colts could have had a future number two pick at pick 21. And you have to think a year of development at the pro level would only help. It's an intriguing idea that you could somehow peek around the corner and down the halls of the future and guess who might be primed for a breakout college season, then draft that player a year ahead of time. Take a younger player with better traits but less college production and bank on significant development. It's a gamble that could pay off handsomely. Well, the Colts did exactly that this year with safety Nick Cross. As Stephen Holder reported, Chris Ballard asked the draft room during the third round where they thought Cross would be selected next year, to which they answered, round two. 
The Colts had no picks remaining in the round, yet Ballard responded, then let's take him right here. They traded up into the third round, and now Nick Cross is a Colt. Cross is only 20 years old and in certain need of development, but he boasts insane athleticism and speed. He ran a 4-3-4-40, which is just stupid fast for a safety. That 40 time was better than nine, nine of the top 10 wide receivers drafted. Perhaps it was a gamble, but if it works out, the Colts used a 2023 third round pick to select a 2023 second round player. Now that is just good math. After the initial trade back, the Colts landed at pick 53. I started to wonder if they wanted to pick at all. Yet, at the same time, I wasn't all that surprised. Whether it has been a meritorious match of adding DeForest Buckner or a quarterback blunder, Chris Ballard is continually trying to make up for first-round picks tossed. This year, it was the trade down to pick 53. And with it, selected wide receiver Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. Pierce was the 12th wide receiver drafted. 12th! (laughs) And yet, the Colts will count on him to play a number two role this season. If this draft was a back-to-basics journey for Chris Ballard, the Alec Pierce pick drove the Corolla and parked it in the garage. There were 13 wideouts drafted in the first two rounds, and not one fits the Colts better than Pierce. There are faster and bigger ones, but Pierce is a true blue match. To be clear, there was one, only one, receiver drafted in that top 13 who is both bigger and faster than Pierce, and that is the Green Bay draft pick, Christian Watson. Watson is indeed taller and faster than Pierce, but he's also three pounds lighter. Alec Pierce combines a unique composite of size, speed, and strength. He is six foot three, 211 pounds, and runs a 4-4-140. While the league keeps zigging, Chris Ballard zags. Back in March, the Dolphins traded five, five draft picks to acquire the short and speedy Tyree Kill, although the team already had a short and speedy receiver. I'm not saying that Jalen Waddle possesses Tyreek Hill's talent. No way. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But they do have similar types of skills. Six of the first 13 receivers drafted in April are six foot tall or shorter. Teams across the league are targeting short, shifty receivers while the Colts drafted a wide receiver who was nearly moved to linebacker. And I love it. I love it. Not only does Pierce possess angry linebacker mentality, but he might be the Zach Pascal replacement we've all been searching for. His college head coach, Luke Fickle, was on Kevin and Query, an indie talk radio show, and called his former wideout a devastating blocker. Devastating blocker. That's a sweet tune to Frank Reich's ears, and honestly, mine too. <laughs> Alec Pierce appears to be a perfect fit in Indy. Can you imagine anything more like Indy than this pick for Whiteout? Everyone knew it was a need for the Colts, and many Indy natives wanted the 6'1 David Bell, the Purdue Boilermaker, 
but would settle for the shifty 5'10", Sky Moore from Western Michigan. But I think Pierce was Indy's guy from the start. A linebacker at wide receiver. That's what the Colts want. And truthfully, if you had to name one wide receiver in the league who already had linebacker mentality, your guess might be Michael Pittman Jr., the Colts' 2020 second-round pick. The new Indianapolis Colts are a little bit nasty. Make no mistake about that. Quentin Nelson, MPJ, DeForest Buckner, and even Jonathan Taylor are fine gentlemen in post-game interviews, but they will eat your last meal if the game depends on it. There were plenty of small and speedy wideouts on the table, but the Colts, they wanted the one who could play linebacker. (laughs) It's true that Pierce's college tape, I think it was a little bit snoozy or perhaps predictable. It seemed like every touchdown score was on the same go route, jump ball. But you know, college is just kind of weird. One week you're playing Murray State, a few weeks later you're playing Notre Dame. Pierce played pretty well against the Irish though, but many Saturday afternoons he was simply able to wrestle the ball from weaker opponents. It's hard to tell if that will work in the pros, but I'm not betting against him. I don't think Pierce is incapable of diversifying the route tree. I think it's just a skill that was unneeded in college and therefore untapped. In fact, as is reported, the Colts had a private workout with Pierce and thought he ran pretty well across the middle. So there seems to be no worry about that. At pick 53, the Colts channeled their deep love for MPJ and his angry approach to the wideout position, then endeavored to find his equal. And I think in Alec Pierce, they might have done it. My favorite pick of the draft was Jelani Woods, the tight end from Virginia. In my pre-draft episode, I barely mentioned tight end. I knew there was a need, especially with Jack Doyle retiring, but I never, I never know what to do with tight ends in the draft. They aren't used very well in college. Pass catchers often can't block, and blocking tight ends often can't catch. An average tight end transitioning to the pros is going to struggle, but the Colts are going to ask far more than most teams. So, even though there was an imminent need, I struggled to see how a rookie tight end could make a significant impact during the short time that Matt Ryan has left in the league. Kyle Pitts, who was drafted last year by Matt Ryan's Falcons, was supposed to be a generational player at the tight end position. He did have a thousand yards receiving, which is noteworthy, but he only had one touchdown. Jack Doyle had three, and Mo Ali Cox had four. Yet, the Colts weren't bothered by my fears. There was a need, and with the 73rd pick, the Colts drafted <laughs> the six foot seven, six foot seven Jelani Woods. Think about this. Mo Ali Cox is one of the largest skill players in the league. He's enormous, so big that the guys at the Fantasy Footballers podcast have nicknamed him Gigantor <laughs> because he's so big. And yet, Jelani Woods is bigger, <laughs> two inches taller, in fact. Mo Ali Cox is athletic, and I love Mo, but the former basketball player, you know, he can move okay, but sometimes, let's be honest, 
It looks like he has a solid layer of cement lining the soles of his shoes as he lumbers downfield like a stray buffalo, bouldering through the neighborhood wild and confused. His route running, it's effective, but it's not a smooth operation. Jelani Woods is altogether different. The former quarterback somehow sprints and bends like a whiteout. How he is able to twitch and twist his body into what he does is a mystery to me. Jelani Woods paired with Mo Alley Cox is a tight end duo unlike any in the league. I worried that Jack Doyle would be difficult to replace, and I do think he'll be missed in leadership, run blocking, and overall consistency. But the tight end group now has a new identity. I'm not certain that Jelani is ready for the NFL game. He hasn't been playing the position all that long. But how can anyone stop this man? (laughs) My four-year-old son could complete a pass to him because he's got a catch radius the size of Rhode Island. (laughs) Then, once he catches it, good luck tackling him. Same for Mo Alley-Cox, for that matter. You know, Colts fans keep worrying about the wide receiver group, and I get it. There's reason to be anxious, but I don't think the Colts are worried. Take this tight end duo and add Michael Pittman Jr. plus Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines. The rest will take care of itself. After that, we're just talking about parsley. Just a little slab of decorative greens on the upper right quadrant of the dinner plate. Nothing to worry about. Nick Cross might have been the steal of the draft. He was certainly one of Chris Ballard's favorites, but mine was Jelani Woods. And that rounds out my top three picks. Alec Pierce is the linebacker we needed across from MPJ. Jelani Woods now pairs with the smaller Gigantor, and Nick Cross was a bet on the future. If that was my top three, well, honorable mention goes to the offensive tackle who was selected just four picks after Woods. That's a lovely accent you have. New Jersey? Austria. Austria? (laughs) Well then... (laughs) Good day, mate. <laughs> Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. Let's not. <laughs> Hope you like that. Bernard Ryman is from, you guessed it, Austria. Let's throw another shrimp on the bar. Uh, let's not. Ryman is a bit older for a rookie. He'll be 25 in September. Uh, yet, Bleacher Report called Ryman the Colts' biggest steal. But I think we all know enough about Bleacher Report not to plan the Hall of Fame party just yet. Nevertheless, this pick shoots down another Colts positional need, like the elusive BB gun target at the county fair. My worry was that the third round would be too late to find a starting left tackle, and that may be true, but Ryman will certainly get an opportunity to beat out the incumbent Matt Pryor. At worst, the Colts have an older rookie to step in for some snaps if things go sideways. At best, Ryman could be the Colts' anchor for years to come. He'll probably land somewhere in the middle of all that, but I think it was a worthy pull of the trigger. 
After the potential franchise-changing third round, the Colts had four picks in rounds five through seven, one of whom was Pierce's college teammate, Curtis Brooks. Fickle, in that same interview, called Brooks the MVP of his defense last season. That's ahead of Sauce Gardner, the cornerback who was drafted fourth overall. Granted, Fickle is a former nose tackle and he was admittedly biased. Nevertheless, there are plenty of reasons to like the late round picks, but I can't be certain any of them make the roster. But you know what? It won't matter so much. It won't matter because by that point, the money was made. I know it's early and I'm not about to stamp this draft with an arbitrary grade. No thank you. But I think that it was a great draft and a necessary comeback for Chris Ballard. Goody Pay was the one-hit wonder from the 21 draft like Soft Cell's Tainted Love. I'm not going to sing it, but you know what I'm talking about. It moves the hips, but the band is a molecule in the mist, gone away to the annals of time. I think the 22 draft was more like, get this, Pearl Jam's Yield. Far lesser known than the breakout record 10, which turned platinum 13 times over, Yield wasn't that, but it was great from start to finish. Similarly, I imagine we'll look back at the 22 draft and see that it provided several starters and building blocks for the new and somewhat nasty Indianapolis Colts. Last thought on Pierce, he wore number 12 in college. Also, he was the 12th receiver drafted this year. I think it's time for a new number 12 in Indy. (laughs) Those might be blasphemous words, I realize, but I think it's time. But this is just the beginning, Colts fans. We have new Colts players on the roster. The new season is upon us. Storylines will be sprouting up over the next few weeks, and I am here for all of it. I want to come back in a week or two and discuss how the others in the division, the Texans, Jags, and Titans, have handled the offseason. We did a similar episode last year, so maybe we can go back and check on those players drafted as well. I'll talk to you soon. In the meantime, check out Pearl Jam's Yield. You'll be happy you did. Take care and... Go Colts. This was a presentation of the Blue Notes podcast. I am Benji Taylor. Thanks for listening.